I um I had one of those experiences after we printed these uh, bulletins. I thought to myself, that really kind of doesn't send the message I was hoping it would. Um, there's these anonymous wooden bodies on the um, on the cover, and then this uh, uh, depersonalizing parts as parts. And and I don't. I I hope to explain what I do mean. I won't even. It, uh, I won't even uh, try to interpret what you might think that means. But but I have I have extenuating circumstances. One of one of the practices I I engage in each week is I is I do an internet search for pictures for the cover, and I do that. Um, it's kind of a creative whack kind of thing. You know, you think of something and you see how people image that. It, it it's just a creative uh, whack on the side of the head. Uh, kind of uh, thing to help kind of get the uh, creative juices flowing, and I discovered this week you can't do that with the word body parts. Okay, or if you do, you better have Safe Search on. So, um, so uh, uh, very quickly I decided I needed to to back away and be a lot less creative. So I wound up with uh, wooden mannequins, and uh, that that turned out to be a lot better. Um, and and uh, uh, the the title, you know, if you've been here more than like one Sunday, uh, well, even one Sunday, you know, I'm just not good with titles. Um, I, I struggle to find a title that kind of captures what it is I'm I'm going to say, and um, I, I that's the best thing I could come up with. You know, if you may remember the old uh, TV commercial, it was for some kind of chicken nugget, and the one person says, "Well, what's in it?" And he says, "Parts, chicken parts." He says, "Well, what kind of parts?" And he says, "Well, parts is parts." And that's kind of a depersonalizing. You're all you're all alike. And anyway, I'm, 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 I struggle with titles, but but my secret title, the title that I never tell anybody, and I only do now because because the the title I came up with is so bad, is is this? It's it's Jesus. I get, but who are the rest of these jokers? Okay, <laughs> which really gets to the point that Paul is dealing with in in his in his letter. Jesus, I get. But who are the rest of these jokers? This is the question I think every Christian eventually asks at one point or another. And, and it's the question that the, the church is wrestling with. You know, last week we talked about how the, how the, the, the followers of Christ are superheroes. They're superheroes because they've been given a superpower and they've been assembled into a team to save the, the world. And if you, if you think that I'm kind of overstating the case, we'll go back and read it. Or listen online, because that's really what Paul is saying. We are superheroes, and we're on a team uh, whose purpose is to save the world. So it's a very strong statement, but it raises the question, what is that team like? What's it like to be on that team? You know, I was thinking, um, it's been in the news lately, um, uh, there's a baseball player who's shortly going to not be on a team. Um, and, uh, you know, he raises he raises the question, those of you who uh, don't follow baseball, um, Alex Rodriguez is is very likely not going to be on the Yankees on on Monday. Um, he'll be on a two year suspension or something they're talking about now. And um, and if you think about baseball as an example of what is a team, I don't know what you think of when when the word team comes up. Um, but if you think of baseball as a as a quintessential team sport, it shows you exactly what is the problem with a lot of teams. Um, back in 1931, uh, Babe Ruth. Uh, was paid more money than the president at the time. He was being paid $80,000 a year, and Herbert Hoover was pay- being paid $78,000 a year. And reporters came to him and said, this is a scandal. Isn't this, a, isn't this shameful that a baseball player is making more money than the president of the United States? And Babe Ruth said, what's Hoover got to do with it? And then he paused and he said, and besides, I had a better year than he did. <laughs> 
today, every baseball player gets paid more than the president. The lowest, the lowest paid baseball player in Major League Baseball uh, gets four hundred ninety thousand um, dollars, and the president gets four hundred thousand dollars. So, so uh, you're getting a twenty percent increase if you're a, if you're the the lowest paid player in Major League Baseball. But if you're Alex Rodriguez, if you're the highest paid payer player in Major League Baseball, you're getting twenty eight million dollars this year. You're getting paid 70 times what the president makes. 70 times what the president makes. And so the question about teams is, is, is the church a team like that? If we are a team of superheroes whose purpose is to save the world, are we that kind of team where there's, where there's the star players, the, the franchise player, the superstar, and then a bunch of bench warmers? Is that, is that the image that we should have of the church where there's, there's the, the people who kind of fill out the roster, but they can always be traded or, or sent to, to the minors. Is that the image that we should have for the church? Paul says no. Paul was a, was a leader in the early church, and he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth because they were wrestling with the question, what is it like to be these superheroes you talk about, Paul? What is it like to be a team? And Paul says, actually, team is not the best image. And he provides them with a more accurate image of what the church is. He says the church is a body. Now, we know from historical uh, uh, writings that this was a conventional image. In fact, you can imagine how this might work out. In, in the ancient world, it was very common. People talked about the body politic. So politic means uh, a, a, pol- a polis is a city. So they'd say the body of the city. And they'd basically say something like this. I'm the head and you're the foot. And and that's the way it is, and you just better get used to it. Um, and that was really kind of conventional thinking. So wh- one of the things as we go through this, watch the way Paul challenges that thinking about the body. But but Paul says the church is is a body like that too. He says he says so. So let's go ahead and take a look at what he has to say. Starting in verse twelve, he says, "Just as the body is one and has many members." And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. He's going to repeat this over and over again. There's, there's many parts, one body. He says, the body is one and has many members. Uh, today we don't think of members uh, the way Paul was. Um, Paul is using member to mean a, an arm or a leg, a limb, a body part. Um, uh, the only, Really, the only way we use that today is we talk about being dismembered. You know, police scanner or something you might hear about being dismembered. We don't use the word member typically to do that, uh, to, to mean a, a body part. But that's what Paul's getting at. He's saying the body has many limbs. It has many parts. It has, you know, two ears, nose, legs, and so forth. He's saying there's lots of parts to the body. And then he says, so it is. Now, this is where they would expect you to say your town. So it is with Rome or with Corinth. And Paul says... So it is with Christ. He says, he doesn't say, so it is with your church. Your church should all get along. Your town should all get along. He says, this is how Jesus is. He says, he answers the question, who are the rest of these jokers? He says, they are Jesus. That this is the body of Christ. And if you can't get along with these jokers, you're never going to get along with Jesus because they are Jesus. He says, he says, for in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. 
Notice again, Paul's, Paul's challenging people's assumptions that, that the, the body would be a static thing with, with a ranking of top to bottom. He says, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Greek. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or a free. You're all part of the one body. His focus is on the unity, not on the differentiation within the body. So he says, indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. If the less prominent members of the body would say, well, I'm not one of the prominent members of the body. That doesn't make it any less a member of the body. He says, if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Because where would a body be? If, if, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the body, the, the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. So Paul says, he says, if you are new to this Christianity business and you're trying to figure out what your place is and you look at the more prominent people in the church and you say, I don't rate like they do, right? They're, they're running the worship service. They're speaking during the worship service. They're doing all the different things in the church. I don't rate the same way they do. Paul says, you're just as important. You can't ask that question because, because they're no more important than you are. But then he, then he turns it around and talks to the more prominent people. He says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. Now, Paul's saying there's cultural understanding about what the most important parts of the body are. And we might answer it one way. In the ancient world, they were probably thinking about feet versus hands. You still see this sometimes in the news, uh, uh, particularly coming out of the Middle East. Uh, somebody will will uh, step on a picture of, of uh, the, the American president, and that'll be a big thing in their culture because the feet are the, the less honorable parts of the body. Um, whereas if you... If they punched a picture, it wouldn't make the same impact because hands are honorable and feet are dishonorable. So Paul is probably talking about hands and feet, but he says, he says, we have these cultural conventions that there are, these parts of the body are more honorable, these are less. Um, the way I would put it is, is, you know, if you were going for a bike ride, do you put a helmet on your head or on your knees, you know? Um, we all have different ideas about what the most important parts of our body are, but he says, it doesn't really matter what we think. Because he says, um, but God has so arranged the body. Our conventions don't matter because God has made the body this way. There is just one body. And it doesn't matter whether we think this one is more important than that uh, because God wants the whole to be a body. He says, he's, he's arranged the body, given greater honor to the inferior member that there may be no dissension within the body. The members may have the same care for one another. There be unity, not uniformity, but unity. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. And then he closes out this section of the letter by saying this. Now you, you the believers that he's writing this letter to in Corinth, he says you are the body of Christ. And individually, you are its members. And he says there is a ranking, but it's not the ranking you're thinking of. You know, the ranking that your culture has taught you, that there's the people at the top and then you're the feet. 
He says, there's a ranking, but it's not like that. He says, God has appointed in the church first apostles. That means anybody sent on a mission by God, which is all of us. But he says, he's talking specifically about kind of capital A apostles. But he says that that's the most important thing the church does, is that is that mission into the world. He says, second, prophets, third, teachers. Think about that. Sunday school teachers. Sunday school teachers. They're right up at the top before all the other people he's about to list. He says, teachers, then deeds of power. People who work miracles rank lower in the church than Sunday school teachers. Think about that. And he says, gifts of healing. So gifts of healing, that's a specific type of miracle working. And then I like this, forms of assistance. Um, in the Presbyterian tradition, those would be deacons, people who have a ministry of congregational care or a ministry to, to serve people in the world. Forms of assistance, and then forms of leadership. Paul says that the ranking in the church is people who help rate higher than people who lead. Then he says various kinds of tongues. Paul has a love-hate relationship with tongues. We're going to be seeing that in chapter 14 as we as we read through the rest of this uh, section of 1 Corinthians. Paul says, yes, tongues are a valid ministry. God, God likes tongues, but just not as much as some other things that go on in the church. And then he asks the questions, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. Everybody's different. Everybody's got a different role in the church. But strive for the greater gifts. He says, don't envy the people who are at a higher level. Instead, there is mobility, which there probably would not have been in a lot of the, the, the cities that people talked about in those days. Uh, if you were on the upper crust of Rome, there was nobody who could strive for your job. Uh, you were the emperor, and that was that. Uh, he's saying there is mobility in the church, but it's based on what you do how you let yourself be used by God, how you cultivate the gifts that God has given you. So he says, he says, strive for the greater gifts. So what do we do with this? What, what, what do we do today with this? Well, it's the same message, isn't it, right? It's the same message for us today. Uh, what is your part in the body of Christ? You know, I, I had somebody ask uh, that question once and, and somebody else gave the answer. I'm the appendix. And, you know, the, the famous organ that does nothing in the, in the body. Um, but, you know, I just saw in the news the other day, they figured out what the appendix does. There, there's now apparently a scientific consensus that the appendix actually has a function. It serves as a reservoir of bacteria. So if you get really sick and your whole body gets all cleaned out by its own natural processes, um, there are, you don't lose all those helpful bacteria. They stay in your appendix and then they get released from there. So, so even the appendix has a function. So, so there are no useless parts in the body. There are, there are duplicate parts, right? We have two lungs. We have, we have two kidneys. There are spares, but they work. They, they're not just like sitting there doing nothing. They're continuing to work. And because it's a vital function, we have two of them, two eyes, whatever. So, so Paul's saying, what part in the body are you? What do you do? What is your role in the church? And he's told the, the people of Corinth, and he's telling us that, that if you say to yourself, well, my role is not as important as other people, first of all, you may be wrong, right? Sunday school teachers rank above miracle workers. You may be wrong about what that ranking is. But beyond that, 
There is mobility. As you let God use you, as you devote yourself to the work of the Lord, there's mobility within the church. He says, strive for the greater gifts. So what is your role in the church? And how can we help you develop it? So that's the first question. And then the second question is the question for all of us, which is, how are we doing at that? How well do we incorporate people into the body of Christ? Do you see the same people all the time doing the same work in the church? You know, if your job is to get some people to put on the dinner or to uh, host this activity, are you going to call the same people to do it? Or are you going to intentionally work to incorporate different people into the work of the body? How well do we, as the body of Christ, incorporate all of our members into the work of the church? Paul says, Paul says that we are the body and that when one suffers, we all suffer. Is that true? Do we even know when all the members of our body are suffering? And by the same way, do we know when they're rejoicing? Paul invites us to see everybody in the church, everybody in this church, everybody in the churches up and down the street, everybody across town, everybody around the world in the church as part of our body, and to not be content when they're suffering and to rejoice when they're rejoicing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not just a team of superheroes, but a body, the body of Christ. We... We hear that and we think, Jesus, you're taking such a risk to trust us to represent you in the world. But we know it's more than a a statement that is a risk. We know it's a promise that Jesus promises by his spirit to empower us so that we can truly be his body in the world. So make us faithful to that calling. Help us to strive for the greater gifts. Help us to see one another as part of the same body. And help us to be diligent in the work of the body. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.